This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in week three um, of a series entitled All Things New, How the Gospel Shapes Our Identity. Um, The first week we spoke about what is the gospel. Louis Giglio in the video you watched said Jesus is not just an eternal check mark. It's very important. It's a very important term. He's not just an eternal check mark. Um, And so we talked about what the gospel was, how it's not just a prayer you pray, and it's not a a prayer you pray. It's not uh, reciting words. It's not, it's so much more than that as we grow deeper into it. And I made this statement, if you have been saved for 30 years, you should not be 30 years removed from the gospel. You should be 30 years deeper into the gospel. That's what 30 years of Christian living ought to look like. The gospel is not the green flag. The gospel is not the checkered flag. The gospel is the entire race. Last week we spoke about gospel identity and the first part of it. We talked about modern and traditional identity. We're going to go back through that just a tad this morning. But today we're back in gospel identity. Gospel identity, understanding the gospel, how that affects our identity. Today we want to add to that layer. Last week we spoke of the subject and we defined identity as a combination of who we are and what we value. This is your identity. It's a combination of who we are and what we value, a sense of self and a sense of worth. Here's a good way to spot it in your life. Where we look for security and significance. In a nutshell, our identity is formed by how we view ourselves, what we place value on, and where we look for validation. That's really our identity. Some of us find our identity in the jobs that we perform and the work that we have. And when people ask us anything about us, everything revolves back around to our job. Some people, that's their identity. As we mentioned last week, the harsh reality of that is when your company has to do cutbacks and you're the first one to get the notice. When your identity is wrapped in that job, then your identity has been taken. We even got very deep last week in the fact of if our identity is wrapped in maybe a family member, maybe a spouse, a husband, or a wife. If your identity is just just in your marriage, God forbid, but what happens one day when you're looking at your spouse in a casket? Your identity is gone. And you got to pick up the pieces. We spoke last week of the fact that every culture, without our permission and without letting us know, imposes an identity formation process on everyone in the culture. We introduced three identity structures. We highlighted two of them that dominate our culture today, traditional identity and modern identity. Today we'll be jumping into gospel identity, but for sake of everyone understanding, and by the way, I want to say this every time I preach a a topical message, uh, this is my first topical series in 
two years and three months other than Christmas. Um, we are going to the book of James the first Sunday in March. Uh, we believe in sequential, expositional preaching of the Bible. Um, so just put that out there. That is who we are. We've preached through the book of Philippians, the book of Ephesians. We've preached, preached through a portion of the book of Genesis, uh, Habakkuk. We've been through uh, Nehemiah. We've been through other books. So uh, we will preach through books, and we do, but I'm taking this just for this, these two months, January and February, this topic. But traditional identity can be described this way. My choices are based on duty. It's my duty. I'm externally driven. I live from the outside in. I must live up to the expectations of others. Traditional identity says I must adjust me because of society. Whatever society puts in place, I need to adjust who I am to fit. Society, especially my family, must validate me. I find validation in the external. And lastly, I take pride in fitting in. The traditional identity values the structure and the system of his or her life as the most important, that structure that they have. Uh, this often will display itself in like an extreme family loyalty. Once again, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. Um, and, and extreme nationalistic uh, loyalty. Once again, nothing necessarily in and of itself wrong with that. But they learn their structure. They seek to become successful within that structure and ultimately earning the validation of their family or some other authority within their structure. And while this identity may not seem to be that wrong, it is void of some biblical elements that we will highlight in our message today. We described modern identity in this way. My choices are based on my desires and feelings. I am internally driven. I live from the inside out. I create my own expectations. My society or society around me must adjust to me. I will validate myself. I need no external validation. I take pride in standing out. Can I say that the more I thought about these points, the more I understand that the culture that we live in in this day, 2020, this is very, very acceptable and very palatable in our culture today. It has been pushed on us through many different avenues. We learned last week that it popped up in the great theologian, uh, Elsa, um, in Frozen, it popped up and let it go. And I was able to recite that for you, and I even did like the Now They Know. I sung that. Um, I, I am off social media for the month, and I, when I say I'm off, I'm legitimately off social media. I had no idea that that got posted in our private Facebook group, but hey, it's all good. If you're not in it, you need to join it so you can see that. But the truth is, we all laughed at the beginning of that song as I started quoting that song. But when we got down to that, that last phrase of the second verse, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. We were very quiet last week. It wasn't funny anymore. 
Because I think we understand that while I'm not here to preach against Frozen, as I mentioned last week, we've seen, it, we've seen Frozen 2 twice already. My girls love it. We're going to Disney in a week and a half, two weeks. So we'll be there. And we're going to ride the ride. It's going to be great. But I am going to make sure that I train and teach my daughters a proper view of identity. I am going to make sure that I do that. What is interesting about modern identity is that entertainment and our culture pushes it so hard in everything they, that they put out, when in reality, I would say that 80% of the world, not America, of the world exists in a traditional identity structure. In fact, the majority of the world, I would say the parents even choose the spouse for their kids in a vast majority of the world today. We live in the American bubble. When we burst out of the American bubble, we see that entertainment is trying to force something on us that's not even a reality in most of the world. The modern identity wants a new way, and we better hop on the modern identity train now, because if you don't, you're, you're ignorant. You don't, you don't know, you don't understand. You're a boomer, that's the new thing, right? You just don't get it. And last week we poked several holes in this structure. Modern identity is fragile because you are the ultimate validator in your life. There's intense pressure that's put on you. You refuse to let anyone else speak into your life and help you and ultimately your feelings will get involved in your life and you break down and show your true fragility that you didn't want anybody to know. Modern identity is also fragmenting because it destroys community. Think about it. This individualistic identity, it can destroy a family because I'm right and everybody else around me needs to adjust to me. As I mentioned last week, not only adjust to me, but celebrate who I say I am. Politics. Try having a different political view than someone in 2020. Dear God, and try disagreeing in an area of politics. Friendships, other authority structures. Modern identity is crushing. The amount of pressure put on yourself to keep up the perception of your modern identity. And over time, the weight of the pressure crushes you. It's why we see uh, entertainers for the last 30 years, we've seen them rise and we've seen them fall. We've seen popular people get very popular and fall. I like watching financial shows and, and uh, Alex Rodriguez, who was one who rose and fall and fell, uh, one of the best baseball players ever to play. He has an entire show financially helping celebrities who have completely hit rock bottom try to get back on their feet. And you know that I watch it because I enjoy the finance part of it, but I sit there and I go, this person had it all, millions. And they got crushed under their identity structure. Today I want to clarify some truths about this subject of identity and then I want to dive into gospel identity. Can we pray together? And then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, speak today through your word, God, as we, as we dig in here in just a second. God, I pray that we would leave here today acknowledging maybe some areas in my life that 
I know you've pointed out to me, God, where I have allowed a traditional or a modern identity to, to displace a true identity in Christ. God, I pray that you would illuminate other areas of my life even today. And God, if there's those here today that the modern identity is putting so much pressure on them, God, or, or their traditional identity has just uh, sunk its teeth into them, God, I pray today they would find the freedom that is in the gospel identity, in the identity that is found in Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Is it wrong to take pride in your family? Is it wrong to be proud to be an American? Is it wrong this morning to pour yourself into your amazing job that you have? Is it wrong this morning to stand out and not be like everybody else? Is it wrong this morning to fit in and just fall in line and do as we're told? Is it necessarily wrong to seek validation this morning from someone, from another human being? Is it wrong this morning to continue your passion in education and continued learning? And I would propose that the answer to each one of those questions is no. Those things in and of themselves are not wrong. God gives you desires and passions this morning and he wants, he gave, gave them to you so that you could do your best at glorifying him and succeeding in those. It is not wrong for those things to be important parts of your life because they help make up who you are. You can be open this morning to the insights and influences of these identity factors. That's what I'll call them, identity factors. Without partaking in the idolatry of these identity factors. Seeking validation from someone, finding your passion and education, standing out, fitting in, pouring yourself into your job, pouring yourself into your family, uh, being proud to be an American, those things, you can be open to those insights and those influences of these identity factors, those factors, without partaking in the idolatry of these identity factors. These all factor into who you are. Certainly no one this morning who was born in rural Arkansas with a unique identity makeup is going to be the same as someone this morning that was born in Tokyo, Japan, in the middle of the city. Certainly there's going to be some different things about different people and it. it's part of what makes up who we are in our uniqueness. Certainly a scientist for NASA will possess a unique identity makeup than a pastor of a two-year-old church plant. Thank you for all those who will, would board a space shuttle. These unique factors are neither right nor wrong in and of themselves. Where they can become wrong is when these factors supersede our identity as a child of God in Christ. These factors become idols when they overtake Jesus in our identity structure. What are some other factors that make up our identity? Who we are and what we Value. Klein Snodgrass offered these factors. Number one, our physical and psychological characteristics. For instance, our gender, our ethnicity, maybe some disease or sickness that we have in our bodies. Number two, 
our history. Our history, just where we're from and who we hung around and those all are factors that play into who we are. Our relationships. The old Mexican proverb says it this way, tell me who you are with and I will tell you who you are. Tell me who you are with and I will tell you who you are. Our commitments, where do we give our attention? Where do we commit ourselves? I am a committed Duke sports fan and we lost last night, but that's okay. I heard the school eight miles down the road and got any, any room to talk, so we're good. But I'm an avid Duke fan and guess what? I've made a commitment to that. I mean, I've made, I've, in the past, I've made some financial commitments to that to make sure I can get into a game. That makes up who I am. It, it, it just does. Our boundaries, what we, uh, what we uh, I'm sorry, our actions. Uh, you are what you do repeatedly. Over and over again, our habits, our actions. Our boundaries, what we allow in and what we do not allow into our lives, all shape who we are. Number seven, the fact that you are an ongoing process of change. That tomorrow you could get a new job, you could move to a new state, you could move to a new country. Tomorrow the circumstances of your life could be radically different than they are today. And number eight, that you are the result of your mind. Your internal, self-interpreting, self-directing memory. And how many of you, if you're like me, I look back at 2010 Josh, and I disagree with like 75% of 2010 Josh. That's me. Like my mind changes. Who I am changes. My perspective changes. And I look back at myself, as I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I found a folder of sermons from like when I first was like in, our, in my like mid-20s. And Lord help anybody who sat under that. It was absolutely horrible. And I apologize. I need to publicly apologize to anyone who sat under my preaching from the time I was, say, 24 years old to the time I was, say, 30 years old. But we must understand, while not in and of themselves wrong, these factors, all of them, originate from a state of sinfulness and fallenness. Everything, our history, it all originates in a sinful world. And we must understand that. A sinful state of fallenness from our minds and our hearts. And remember Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. A modern identity says follow your heart. A biblical identity says your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses. Just sinful fallenness. We don't like to think of it this way, but everything about us in our flesh begins with sinful fallenness. And that includes me and that includes you. A sinful state. So we must understand that all of these factors in our lives can influence who we are, but they should not be our primary identity. So what is the gospel identity? What is the gospel identity? In the gospel, simply put, your identity is received, not achieved. 
And while we understand that good always needs to be achieved in the gospel, we understand that no matter how much we try to achieve that good, it is nothing but filthiness to God. And that everything and anything we can do right is through him, is through receiving our identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What is the gospel identity? It's becoming the righteousness of God in Christ, in Jesus. And God looks at you just as you are, and he, he finds you valuable in Christ just the way you are this morning, just the way you are. He finds you valuable in Christ. But let's let Scripture speak, and because I'm going to turn to so many verses of Scripture today, it's going to be different, uh, difficult for you to follow along in your Bibles, but if you'd like to, by all means do. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Look at verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sum up gospel identity in one phrase. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ then, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's let scripture continue to speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, that's our sinful nature, even so in Christ all shall be made alive in Christ. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5 may be my favorite chapter in the Bible. Back in Colossians and the second chapter, the eighth verse, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. By the way, that would be those, those humanistic identity structures. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, verse 10, complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By the way, that's in reference back to the Jews needing physical circumcision as a sign of your salvation. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, 
having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What is a gospel identity? If you're not catching, and we, we got more, if you haven't caught on yet, it's got a lot to do with the phrase in him, in Christ, with Christ. It's got a lot to do with that. Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Gospel identity, you ready? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not quite done. We got one more. And it's the next bulk of verses in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand. So those who are physically circumcised call you uncircumcised because you've not been physically. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. And can I say, man, our modern culture and identity pushes that. No hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You said, Justice, that's a lot of scripture this morning. Once again, I apologize. Number two, there's a lot more that we could have said. A lot more that we could have said. But I hope we understand that this phrase of in Christ Jesus, in, in Christ, in him, with him, through him, that from a divine viewpoint, those fra that phrase means that God sees the believer in a living union with Jesus Christ. And he sees the believer being clothed in all of the righteousness of God. And when we adopt this living union with Christ, we will adopt the gospel identity. So we got here, and the way we're going to get there, which is the end, is simply trying to define or qualify the gospel identity. So the gospel identity is this. First of all, in Christ, all the unique fallen factors of who I am and what I value take their proper place my job as pastor of this church falls in line underneath my role or Christ's role as my supreme identity my job as the pastor of this church falls in line it falls right in line behind my identity that's found in the gospel our physical appearance, 
our families, our nationalities, our commitment to seeking validation from that person. They will all take their rightful place in making us who we are, but that rightful place must be behind our identity that's in Christ. Listen, we all seek validation from people, and it's going to happen. I seek validation from my wife. I'll be the first to tell you that. There are things that I do or say or choices that I make that I'm cutting my eyes over there, even while I'm preaching. Um, and I'm looking for the thumbs up, the mid, or the down. All right? um, but, uh, or, or this one. Land the, land the plane. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we are all looking for validation. And here's the thing. I'm not here today to tell you. That's one of the things I want to clarify. I'm not here to tell you today that seeking validation from people in your life is a bad thing. I'm here to tell you when that is the main thing and that is the supreme thing, what is going to happen when you do not get the validation from that person? If, my, if Sarah's validation of me is what I ultimately live for, well, what's going to happen when she's honest and she can't validate everything I do and say all the time? Okay, it's just a matter of the fact that these fallen factors in our lives, where we were born or our jobs, our bank accounts, who we're married to, all of these things are just factors in our lives and they will take their proper place when we understand our identity in Christ. Sin may be a part of our identity, but sin does not get the last word. Sin may be a part of our identity, but sin does not get the last word. Secondly, in Christ, all the unique roles that we perform in this life take their proper place. It's similar to the first point, but I want to verbalize it a bit differently. I am not primarily a husband. I am primarily a child of God who has been given the temporary role of husband. I am not primarily a father. I am a child of God who has been given the temporary role of being a father to two beautiful girls. I am not primarily a pastor. I am a child of God who has been given the temporary role of pastoring this church. I am not primarily, thank the Lord, a Duke fan. I am not primarily today, you are not primarily a medical professional. You are a child of God who the next time you're supposed to go to work will be temporarily a medical professional at that time. You are not primarily a ministry volunteer. You are a child of God who temporarily serves in a ministry. You're not primarily an American, you are a child of God who just so happened to be born or live in America. You are not primarily the boss at work. You are a child of God who happens to temporarily hold the title of boss at your work. You are not primarily fill in the blank with whatever you want to put there. Because you know why? Your life and all these things are hidden with Christ and God and a gospel identity. 
So what you do for a living does not define you. That's why someone who's in love with Jesus and who Christ is their identity, circumstances can happen in their lives as, as major as losing their job and having to move or, or take a different job and it not affect who they are at their core. It's because Christ is their identity and their job is not. It's, it's why people can lose a family member or, God forbid, a spouse, and, and it seems as if their spiritual life continues on down its path, and it's because Christ was preeminent. In Christ, these are a little bit more detailed, and I'm, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them. Thirdly, in Christ, I have a unique coexistence of boldness and humility. A unique coexistence of boldness and and humility and the modern structure or the uh, the traditional structure of identities I need to choose am I going to be bold because if I'm bold then I am all that and a bag of chips or am I going to be humble if I'm going to be humble I'm going to stay back from the crowd and in a gospel identity I just like Christ can possess both boldness and humility as I do not boast in myself or glory in myself but I will glory in Christ and his ability to make me bold and humble simultaneously. Have you ever met someone like that, that, that's like that? You see this, this boldness about them, but yet they're somehow humble. I've met people that are either or. When you meet a both and, dig deeper. And what you're going to find is if they're a believer, what you've probably found is someone who's grounded themselves in an identity that's found in Christ. In Christ, I have a unique approach to my emotions and my feelings. The traditional identity where the outside expectations rule you and what your family tells, says that you ought to do rules you and this, this box rules you, traditional identity would tell you to ignore your feelings and your emotions. Modern identity would say, let your feelings and your emotions rule however you're feeling. But our gospel identity says feelings aren't the problem. It's the order of our feelings that's the problem. Our feelings for Jesus must take preeminence. And our feelings for Jesus will then drive our feelings for everything else. I love this one. In Christ, I possess a unique Cultural flexibility. God has a supernatural way. Pay attention to this wording. God has a supernatural way of demoting our ethnicity, our financial status, our race, our political leanings, and so on and so forth. He has a way through the gospel of demoting those without devaluing those. I, as a Christian, can insert myself into any cultural context in this world because my identity is, is in Christ. And I can love people, and I can serve people, and the gospel can show through me in any cultural circumstance. How many of you have ever been overseas out of the country on a missions trip? Raise your hand if you've ever been out of the country on a missions trip. All right, we, got, we got a few. There is nothing like it, and if that country is a country that primarily doesn't speak English, there is something incredible about meeting another group of believers that do not speak your language 
Yet there's immediately a connection that you make with people that do not understand what you are saying and you do not understand what they are saying. It's a unique connection that can only be made through the gospel, the Holy Spirit. In Christ, I believe this is fifthly, I have a unique openness to differences. I should have said, Dear Josh, as I do this point. Dear Josh, when your identity is performance-based, which, by the way, both traditional and modern tend to be, you always have to be right. Dear Josh, you always have to win, and because you always have to be right, in turn, other people have to be wrong. But in a true, gospel, Christ-centered identity, I can have a unique openness to differences. When people who are different from you become your enemy, whatever caused that to take place has replaced Jesus as your identity. Romans 14 teaches us, among many other things, that we can see things from a different perspective on issues in that day, such as eating meat that was offered to idols. Some would eat and some would not. But that we can differ on things like that and still see people through a lens of love and grace and biblical acceptance. When I have a gospel identity, the differences that you and I have, and by the way, we always will, Two people are going to differ on things, period. If you're married or you know that. If you've, I mean, interacted with anyone in your life, you know that. The gospel identity says that myself and Pam, we can disagree on something. But because our identity is in Christ, that doesn't affect our friendship. That doesn't affect our relationship. We can differ and it be okay. And lastly, this morning, our, in Christ, I am uniquely me, and I am complete in him. And by the way, those things do not compete with one another. When I have a Christ-centered identity, I can be uniquely me and be complete in Christ. Jesus gives us desires and family structures and talents and opportunities in our lives that ultimately help us mold help our help us mold into unique people in him in him we are all unique none of us look alike think alike act alike dress alike we are all unique in our own ways in him in him Jesus' job is not to force you into a mold where we all look the same, talk the same, think the same, and believe every little thing the same. No. As my friend Jake says, if you ever walk into a church and everybody looks the same, talks the same, thinks the same, 
and believes every little detail the same, you have one job. Run as fast as you can. Because Jesus created you and I unique. And you were born uniquely you, and I was born uniquely me. In Christ. So what draws us together this morning as a church body of, of, of people with all different socioeconomic statuses? What, what brings the young and the old? What brings the rich and the poor? What brings, what brings us together? In Christ. In Him. In Christ. It's our identities that we have in Christ. So last week, we told you about a woman. I, I didn't name her. I should have. We told you about a woman whom society was forcing into making a decision between getting engaged and marrying the guy or taking the career path and landing that job. I think you can understand that generally the traditional identity would tell her, choose the engagement and marriage and the man. And modern identity would generally speaking say, you better not, you better choose that career and that job. He'll be there later on. But the gospel identity says, you're free to choose whichever one the Holy Spirit leads you to choose. You don't have to choose the man. You don't have to choose the career. Choose whichever one you want. Why? Because neither choice will impact your identity ultimately. Because your identity is in Christ. So pick that one, that one, or as I was reminded last week, pick both. I got, a, I got another one. Walk away from both of them and pick something else. The gospel lets you have freedom to make rational, biblical choices with your life without being forced into a, into a humanistic identity structure. If I'm going to be a modern woman, well, this is the choices I've got to make to be a modern woman because all the bumper stickers on the back of my car say this. And this is the choices I have to make. Or if I'm going to be a traditional man, then this is what I've got to do as a man because this is what men do. There's a man up here. We need to do this. We're going to... Or what if God calls us to something much more biblical? What if God calls us to make rational, biblical, spirit-led decisions? And he says, whichever one you make is not going to ultimately impact your identity when your identity is fully given to Christ. Freedom. That job's not my identity. That marriage is not my identity. Both the job and the marriage together won't be my identity. Choosing neither the job nor the marriage will not be my identity. Those are simply factors in my life that are not nearly as important as Jesus. It's a gospel identity so that we may say, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul, it would be very easy for you to rest your identity in your past as a persecutor of the church. It would be very easy for you, Paul, to rest your identity in the, the, the current at that time when he was writing uh, this, this letter to the church at Corinth where Paul was the most important man in the furtherance of the gospel and the greatest missionary that you and I know today. It would be very easy to rest your identity in those things, but Paul shows us what gospel identity sounds like. But by the grace of of God, I am what I am, and yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul's not a missionary. Paul was a child of God who God was using to spread the gospel as a missionary. So today as we head off on our missionary journeys this week into the real world, may this truth be ever present in your heart and mind, that you are not who society has said that you are. You are also not who you in your own fleshly heart and mind has said that you are. You are not simply a result of your upbringing or your influences, and you are not simply a result of your ethnicity and your friends. No, first of all, primarily, supremely, you are a child of God. Period. And everything else flows from that. Jesus reigns in your life as supreme Lord and identity structure. And everything else flows from that. In our Connect Group Tuesday night, we talked about the supremacy of Christ. And I said, it's not that Christ is number one and then something else is two, three, four. I look at it this way, and I hope this illustration will help in closing. Christ on the bicycle wheel is the hub. He's the hub of the wheel. That is our identity in Christ. And everything else in our life, every other factor that we spoke about today, is simply a spoke off of the hub of Jesus. That is what it means for Jesus to be preeminent. It means that this spoke right here, this is my job, but my job is connected to Christ. This spoke right here is my relationship with my spouse, but this, but this spoke right here is connected to Christ. And, and this spoke over here is, is my entertainment, where I go to for fun and, and relaxation and my release, but that is also connected to Christ. And, and this one over here is my, my community around me and my friendships that I've made. Th that is all connected to Christ. And, and my finances, they're all connected to Christ. Anything and everything that could come out of my life is connected to the hub. And so my question for you today, who's at the center? Who's the hub in your life? Is it Christ? Is it your job? Is it Christ? Is it something else? Is it your marriage? Is it Christ? Is it your family? Is it Christ? 
Is it your financial status? May we be able to say, as Paul said, when Christ, who is my life, appears. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. A gospel identity is resting in the fact that whatever we are in this life comes after being a child of God. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.